First uh, John 1, 9. Most of you are very familiar with that, and I was going to bring this message two weeks ago until the power decided it wasn't going to be here, and we thought that might be a little dangerous to be being around here. So, um, But I find it one of those things that it's very um, on point, as this morning we're also going to be celebrating the Lord's table, um, which is the sign of the ultimate in forgiveness. So we'll go through this and then work our way through some scripture regarding forgiveness itself. But to start with, let's, let's look at 1 John 1, 9. Um, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That, while a very simple verse, is a very deep verse. We, as people, if we ask for forgiveness from our sins and all that we have done, will be granted by the Almighty God the forgiveness of our sins, and He will wipe them away. Just think about that for a minute, how, how big of a thought that is. But to start with, let's think about what does it mean to forgive someone. Okay? If you look it up on the internet or in your dictionary, forgiveness is to grant a pardon for or remission of an offense, debt, or etc., or to absolve. So when we say that we are forgiven, that means that we have been pardoned for and absolved all of our sins. Okay? That means that God no longer holds them against us. And we're going to look at that a little bit more. But let's first start with why do we need forgiveness? I mean, God is all-powerful. God is all things. He, if he wanted to, could just let us into heaven regardless of what we had done. And there are religions in the world that believe that that is how this will work. That as long as you were trying and you lived a good life, you're doing your best, that you're going to go to heaven. But that is not what the Bible teaches at all. And that should scare us in many ways. Um, All those people that you know that do not know Christ are not going to heaven. And the alternative is very, very unpleasant. So we need to think about that. Now, the reason we need forgiveness is because God is perfection. He is perfectly just. He is perfectly love. He is perfect uh, in all ways. Okay? And perfection cannot stand imperfection. So we have a perfect God and yet we are not perfect. No one is perfect. If you look to Romans 3.23, and I'm sure probably half of you can probably quote this to me, if for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And when we teach that verse in Awana, we focus on the one word, all, okay? Because it helps the kids 
to determine that that includes me? And that's one of the questions that, you know, as you're going through the section, who does it say has sinned? Is it the pastor? Is it mom and dad? Is it, you know, who has sinned? Has anyone not sinned? And that little word of all says, you, me, everyone in this world has sinned. And when we sin, we fall short of the glory of God. And that is where we are separated. And that is why we are not going to heaven. And that is why we need forgiveness. So, let's look a little bit at some more scriptures. Turn in your Bibles to Psalms. Uh, we're going to do a couple verses out of there. Start with Psalms 130, verse 3. I found it interesting as I was looking forgiveness. Um, how many passages um, in Psalms had to do with forgiveness? And then I realized that that's because David, who is the primary author of the Psalms, knew how much he needed forgiveness. And we tend to think of David in his, you know, slaying of Goliath and, you know, being the big king who united the kingdom of Israel. But David also had some flaws. There's the whole Bathsheba incident um, that, you know, David, while being a man after God's own heart, failed. Um, but I think in many ways that extended his knowledge of how much he needed forgiveness. And I think that's why he writes on it fairly frequently, and there's some great passages in here. So if you look at Psalms 130, verses 3 and 4, this is a song of ascent of David. Um, and if it says, If thou, O Lord, should mark iniquities... O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. So, we hear, we need forgiveness. If God keeps perfect score, which he does, and were to count against us everything that we had ever done wrong, all of our iniquities, we would be doomed quite honestly we would never get to heaven but there is forgiveness with you david says god forgives and that therein lies our hope if you flip over to psalms 103 we're gonna look at 10 and 12 here if i can get past psalms 119 because well that's like a third of the book So Psalms 103, verse 10 and 12. And now we're going to talking a little bit about how he forgives us. Okay, We know he does because the Bible has given us that he is going to forgive us if we confess our sins. So let's think about how he does that. Because we know we as humans have a hard time forgiving one another. But God is perfect. So let's look at how that works. 10 through 12 of Psalms 103. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, 
So far has he removed our transgressions from us. That first verse, verse 10, is really kind of, is echoed, really, when you look at it in 1 John, right? He's talking there about how he has not dealt with us according to our sins because he is forgiven of us, right? He is not punishing us for our iniquities. And why is that? Because of forgiveness, okay? But God, being God, doesn't just, you know, forgive us. He takes and he does some very, the language used to describe it really gives us an idea of the, the power and the depth with which he forgives us. So you look in verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. Now, considering the time that this scripture was written, there was no flight, there was no concept of space, there was no concept of, you know, what was out there. It's just you would look up and you knew you couldn't get any higher than you could jump or you could climb a mountain, right? But you knew there was something up there because the clouds were up there, there was something. So David says as high as that is, way beyond any single individual's ability to get there. There was no way, particularly at that time, that you could reach up, climb up, launch yourself, whatever, to get to the heavens. And even today, if we think about it, we know that if you go up, there's nothing. There's no end to that. That is infinity. Space goes on and on and on and on and on. And that is how far Christ takes our sins and sends them away. And then he talks about as far, in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our transgressions from us. Now, this is one of my favorites, and I can remember as a kid, looking at this verse going, well, how does that work? And then it was explained to me, if you go north, eventually you reach the North Pole, right? Yet there is a place on earth where you can stand, and no matter which direction you turn, you're facing south, right? If you go to the South Pole, no matter which direction you face, you're facing north, okay? So God doesn't take and t- send our sins as far as it from the north to the south. That's a measurable distance, okay? Circumference of the earth, over two. Sorry. Um, but if you talk about east to west, if you keep going east, you go east, and 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 you may get back to where you started, but you still haven't reached east. You keep going, and you keep going, and keep going, and keep going, and keep going. And if you take, and if somebody at the same time went west, you would pass each other, but neither one of you would ever be where you were going. Right? So God has taken and sent our sins as far as the east is from the west, which is, again, an immeasurable distance, not a way that we can, not something we will ever be able to comprehend or be able to measure. And that is where God has sent it. 
Let's turn another um, scripture here. Micah chapter 7. I hope you all have your thumbs ready to get back and forth in your, your Bible. because i got lots of verses today. Micah 7, 18 and 19. Again, this is how God forgives us. Okay? Who is a God like thee who pardons iniquity? who passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession, who does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, that will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Micah's talking here particularly about the children of Israel, but this lesson applies to all of us as well. Remember, the children of Israel have a tendency to not do what they're supposed to, despite having, like, the direct word from God. Um, Sometimes I'm jealous of them because they got, like, the real direct big voice from God, and he doesn't do that anymore. He has the Bible for us, but... Then I also remember the fires and other things and decided it's probably better the way we have it now. Um, But as we're looking at this, he is talking about the sins of an entire people. But it applies just as well individually. If you look at verse 18, he's talking about passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possessions. So that's the children of Israel. And then he says... He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. That love causes him to offer forgiveness. If he was just perfect justice, because God is perfect, right? If he's just perfect justice, then he just punishes us. Right? Whenever we sin, we're just punished, we're banned from heaven, done. Finish. End of story. But he's also perfect love. And so he uses that love, causes him to offer us forgiveness and a way of escape. Okay? And again, we have some, some graphical imagery here. It's treading our sins underfoot. So that's stomping on something. Anybody... Remember stomping on something that you wanted to break when you were a kid or watched your kids or grandkids recently do that? <laughs> you know, they get mad and they just jump up and down, stomp on it with both feet. What are they trying to do? They're trying to wipe it out. They're trying to wipe it off the face of the earth. Okay? Now, they don't succeed, thank goodness, because they're children. But if God does it and God is perfection, it's gone. It's completely gone, right? Okay? And then he casts it into the depths of the sea. Again, we have some imagery based on the time. If you see something in the ocean at the time that these were written, it was not recoverable, right? They didn't have deep sea breathing apparatus. They didn't have anything that they could use to go down other than the human breath. So 
while there are some very, you know, impressive divers that, you know, even today can go down 30 meters, maybe more, and stay down for a couple of minutes, if you throw it into the depths of the sea, even accounting for the you know, Mediterranean being one of the shallower oceans, it's gone, completely gone. You're never going to find it again, and that is what Micah is describing Christ as having done with all of our sin. All right, New Testament Scripture, Matthew 18. Most of you will recognize this. Run across this. We do this one quite a bit. Matthew 18, verses 21 through the end of the chapter. This is going to be a bit of a piece here. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven shall be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Excuse me. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who was owed 10,000 talents. Since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all that he had and repayment to be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. He was unwilling, however, but went and threw him into prison until he should pay back what he was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him... His, slave, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that death because you entreated me. Should you not have also have mercy on your fellow slaves, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father do to you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. Usually when we focus on this, this scripture, we talk about the disparity in what was owed. And if you look it up, you're looking at the 10,000 talents. I don't know how he got that much money and got that deep in debt because that's several lifetimes of your entire salary going to make 10,000 talents. We're talking billions of dollars, right? And the denarii, your day's wages, I think they ca somebody calculated it roughly three months. Okay? So the disparity in, in the amounts there are, are just phenomenal. Okay? And there, you know, for us, the it is what we owe Christ for being perfect versus what we owe each other are in no way in the same. 
But I want to go back and I want to look at the beginning of here because Peter is doing the Peter thing, which is always entertaining. The man was, I'm really kind of looking forward to meeting Peter because he's quite the character. Peter comes and says, how often shall I forgive my brother? Up to seven times. Now, the reason there was seven times is because this was standard under Judaic law. That was the, the standard number was seven times. And Jesus says, nope, I tell you 70 times seven. Calvin, how many is that? Four hundred and ninety. Okay? You got there. I didn't warn him I was going to do that. Four hundred and ninety times. So, call it five hundred times, right? How many of you can remember something that you did for someone five hundred different times? I can't. I don't even think that I, I could manage to use a phone app to keep track of anything that many times, right? So what's Christ saying there? You just keep forgiving. You just keep forgiving. It's not there is some level at some point you quit forgiving your neighbor. That's not how this works. Christ forgave us over and over, and he will continue to forgive us over and over, for which I am very grateful. Okay? I need forgiveness more often than I would like to admit. And yet Christ continues to forgive me over and over and over again. We are to see that there is no, as I was reading, there is no final straw in Jesus' level of forgiveness, right? No final straw. There's no point at which he says, Doggone it, you have finally hit my last nerve. You're done. You're toast. I am not forgiving you anymore. God never does that. Despite how much we may deserve it, he never, ever does that. He forgives us forever, as long as we ask. And then, verse 35. This is a hard one because it forces us to apply ourselves. 18, Matthew 18:35 So my heavenly Father shall also do for you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Okay? You are commanded as a Christian to continuously forgive your brethren. Okay? It's not an option. It's not a request. It is a very direct commandment from God to continue to forgive, even when it hurts. And that, for me, is very, very difficult. I don't know about the rest of you, but God has given us a very simple command. Now, this does not mean that you need to put yourself into the situation over and over and over again where you're going to need to forgive someone, okay? There's nothing that says you can't learn the lesson that says, if I do this, if I do A, the person is going to do B, and I'm going to need to forgive them. Well, maybe the, the lesson God's trying to teach you is you shouldn't do A. Okay? It doesn't say that you have to do it over and over again, whatever the action that required forgiveness was. What it does say is if that person wrongs you, 
you do have to forgive them. Okay? That is very simple and yet extremely difficult to execute. We as humans are really good at holding grudges. At least I am. Um, I don't know about the rest of you. Maybe you've all gotten past that. But um, <laughs> we need to be able to forgive no matter how many times a person has done us wrong. That also means that we need to ask for forgiveness when we do something to someone the 300th time. Okay? We need to be willing to go to that person and ask for forgiveness. Um, we are not ever told not to ask for forgiveness, and we are always told to grant that forgiveness. It's imp- interesting to note um, Forgiveness is a concept that transcends even the church. I was getting ready for this, and I happened to forget part of my search term in Google. Um, And it turns out that the Mayo Clinic, that kind of epitome of health and uh, wellness that we have in the United States, has an entire section of their website devoted to forgiveness, which... I thought was rather interesting. So here are, according to the Mayo Clinic, some of the benefits of forgiving someone. Letting go of grudges and bitterness can make way for improved health and peace of mind. Forgiveness can lead to healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety, stress, and hostility, lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, a stronger immune system, Improved heart health and improved self-esteem. Now, those are all great things, right? I don't think any of us are going to turn those down. But they don't cover all of what forgiveness in a biblical sense does and what it grants us. And the world, for as much as understanding that forgiveness is important, is never going to be able to truly comprehend what it does for them because they don't look at it through a biblical lens and see the effects that God has on it. So how often do we need to forgive someone even if they don't come to us to ask for forgiveness? This one gets a little awkward, but let's run to Mark chapter 11. We look at Mark chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive you your transgressions. All right. Whenever you stand praying. Now, Jewish culture, praying happened a lot, right? There was daily prayers. There was prayers and meals. There was all sorts of religious observances for prayer that, you know, it was a very frequent activity. So that meant that for Jews... There was a lot of forgiveness going on. But as I was thinking about this, we have in our Bibles a verse that says, Pray without ceasing. 
Okay, so if I take pray without ceasing, and whenever you pray, you need to forgive people. That means you need to forgive people whenever you think about it. When you think of how you have been wronged, that is the time you need to forgive. I don't particularly like that, so I got something to work on. Uh, But it is a nice direct statement for us to apply. And that is applying to not only our Christian brethren, but non-Christians as well. Okay? Maybe particularly to non-Christians, because they do not understand the power of forgiveness as much as our Christian brethren should. Um, we need to be willing to forgive everyone all the time. Again, you don't have to put yourselves into a position where you're going to need to be forgiving. You're not going to set yourself up, somebody come here and hit me with a stick so I can forgive you. That's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying if something happens and you need to forgive someone, then you need to do it. Okay? A couple more scriptures here. Let's go and look at Luke 17, verses 1 through 4. This one is, again, instructing us about stumbling blocks and prayer. And he said to his disciples, this is Jesus speaking, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea that he should cause one of the little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you are to forgive him. Now, there's been a whole bunch of sermons on those first couple verses, and we could go off and and talk about not being a stumbling block for hours. But we're talking about forgiveness. So let's look at three and four. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. So we are not to have forgiveness be license. Okay? If your brother is doing something wrong, if he is sinning, you still need to tell him that. You are not to just excuse behavior. But if he repents, forgive him. And then he talks again. If he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, still forgive him. Okay? We are always to forgive, and that is hard. It is not. It goes against our nature. Our sin nature is that we are working to get rid of. So we need to work, continue to work on that. But, again, even if he sins seven times and comes back seven times repent, you must forgive them. This is, again, God saying you don't have that point where you get to quit saying, I forgive. You have to forgive all the time. You have to forgive every time. And that's hard. But it is very much what Christ did, right? Christ went to the cross 
to forgive us all of our sins. Not some of our sins, not our sins up until the point where he gets tired of forgiving us. All of our sins are to be forgiven. Take final, one final section, um, talk a little bit about how we forgive. And for this, we're going to go to Colossians, verse, or chapter 3. I really should have put some bookmarks in here. All right. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. And so, as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on the heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as God forgave you, also so you should forgive. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Middle verse there of that thought is verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Now, let's talk a little bit about what we discussed earlier. How far does God get rid of our sins? How far, when he forgives us, how far does he get rid of it? east to the west, all the way to the heavens. Now, my mind's too small to grasp exactly how that works, but I know that it is as completely and totally as I can, right? And again, it's permanently. It's not something that we do once and then we hold on to just this little tiny bit you know, just, just to remind ourselves. No. He takes and he throws it to the depths of the sea. When he throws something to the depth of the sea, it's gone. You can't get it back. We are to forgive as the Lord forgave us. We're about to get ready to take communion. Um, so I would like to take a couple of minutes before we do that to have everyone bow your head in prayer and ask the Lord who it is in your life that you need to forgive and ask for who you need to ask forgiveness of. So we're going to take a minute or so here and let's do that.
Father, we ask that you would help us moving forward to remember the forgiveness you have given us and to exercise forgiveness as you have commanded us to do. In your name, amen. If I could have Mike and Dick come forward, we'll go ahead and prepare for communion here. Forgiveness is a reminder of the ultimate, or communion is the reminder of the ultimate act of forgiveness. When Christ came, 